Please take your Bibles if you have them and turn with me to the book of Revelation. Today we are going to cover Revelation 17, all 18 verses. Um, as we, as you are turning there, I, I do want to let you know there are two, uh, outside of God, there are two main players within the book of Revelation, or Revelation chapter 17. We're going to consider one of them more than, with the, than we are the other. We're going to look at the harlot of Babylon far more than we do the beast that she rides. And the reason for that is because we've already met the beast. Uh, we studied the beast in Revelation 12 and 13. We're going to study the beast again in Revelation 18 and 19. Um, uh, the beast, uh, if we compare the description of the beast in chapter 17 with the description of the dragon, the sea monster, and the earth monster from chapters 12 and 13, we'll see correlation in there seeing that this is an amalgamation of the description of that anti-trinity in chapters 12 and 13 that is arrayed against God and his people that use nature, political power, economic power, false religion to persecute and to seek to destroy the church. We also learned, and we'll see this here, and we'll see this as we move through 17, 18, 19, and 20 in the book of Revelation, that the dragon and all of his minions are doomed to failure. They fall far short. They have a plan for history, but it falls far short of power to carry it out and the means by which to bring it about because of God's sovereignty and God's plan for the church of the world. And nothing can trump that. And so while we will touch on the fall of the beast and a little bit on the beast today, we won't spend as much time as we do looking at the harlot of Babylon. So with that in mind, let us approach um, Revelation chapter 17, humbly and prayerfully. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come and I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. And the angel carried me away in the spirit into a desert there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, was glittering with gold, precious stones, and with pearls. She held a golden goblet or a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The title was written on her forehead or the, her mysterious name was written on her forehead. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abomination of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to his destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast, because he once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sets. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other is not yet come, but when he does come, he must remain for a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seventh and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, 
but who for one hour will receive authority as, the, as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be, will be his called chosen and faithful followers. Then, then, then the angel said to me, the waters which you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Let us pray. Our great, God, our great God and Father, as we consider these words, we do ask that you would give us the wisdom that the angel told John was necessary to understand. As we come to this passage with wisdom, help us to not lose the forest for the trees. Help us to not miss you and your hand in history and in the church. Guide us to holiness. Guide us to a deeper love and appreciation for you and who you are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think back to chapters 1 through 3 of the book of Revelation. In the middle of chapter 1, we are introduced to Jesus. He is introduced to us as the God-man who is sovereign over his church. And then Jesus dictates seven letters to seven churches, which are directly written to those seven churches, but cover a call to all of the church throughout history. It's a call to faithfulness. It's a call to obedience. In two of the churches, he finds no fault and he commends them for their faithfulness to the testimony of Jesus' truth and for their obedience. Three of the churches are both commended for faithfulness and warned against unfaithfulness and disobedience. And two of the churches are warned that judgment may fall on them because they have come so far from the truth and from obedience that they are on the edge of apostasy. Each of the commendations and warnings are based on the church's relationships with the truth of the gospel and the pursuit of holiness. Churches throughout the history of the church have been tempted and have given in to the temptation to compromise both God's truth and God's law. What is the allure of that compromise? What is the draw to disobedience? You and I have the truth of salvation through Jesus alone. What is the draw to compromise and to say that all religions lead to salvation? We have the law. You and I have the law, which God says, following the law, keeping it leads to prosperity and a greater understanding of the good news of the gospel. What is the draw to throw away God's prosperity and his love and move toward disobedience? In today's passage, John is shown John, excuse me, John is shown part of the allure and the draw in this part of this vision. Then he is warned to resist because those who do join in with the compromise will be judged. First, the harlot's allure, the harlot's draw. So John is shown a vision by one of the seven angels that we met in the last vision. This is a new vision. The the, the last vision has been completed. We are moving into a new vision. 
And John, one of the angels who poured out the bowls of God's wrath upon upon the beast, upon the dragon, upon sinful humanity, comes to John and leads him to the next vision. And he says, I am going to show you the punishment of the great prostitute who who sits on many waters. Now, we have seen so far throughout the book of Revelation, especially in chapters 12 and 13, we have seen Paul's words to the Ephesian church. You do not fight against flesh and blood, but you fight against powers and principalities and the prince of the air. We have seen that in movie form as we have looked at these visions. But John is reminded of something else. While it is true that you and I fight against powers, we fight against principalities, our ultimate fight is against Satan and his demonic hordes. Satan, just as God does, Satan uses humans to carry out his work. And we see this as he focuses on this this prostitute, this, this woman seated upon the sea and seated upon the beast. We've seen already that humans are marked by Satan because they choose to follow him. We've also seen humans, men and women, marked by God because they choose to worship and follow God. We see that humans are the ones that come with the temptation to disobey as well as they are tempted to disobey and compromise the truth. And it is humans who, are, who carry out the persecution of the church. And so what John sees here is this, this, this collusion, this alliance between fallen sinful humanity and the prince, the principalities of the air, see them united in their attacks upon the church. And yet he's going to focus mainly on the human aspect of this as we look at this beast, this woman, excuse me, this woman of Babylon. You know, we do have to keep a balance in mind. Yes, humans are the agents of temptation and persecution. And yes, we battle against powers and principalities. Well, what happens when humans get together? They form cultures, they form groups, they form societies. And societies and cultures and groups that are formed in opposition to God ultimately find themselves to be full of evil, to be full of idolatry, to be full of what the Scripture describes as adultery against God as they pursue their passions, as they pursue their lusts, as they pursue their sinful desires rather than pursuing God's truth. And that is what is represented for us here in this woman. It is human culture, human groups, human societies who are in opposition to God and who are seeking the destruction of God's will, of God's church. And so John is taken into this desert to see this punishment of the great prostitute that has led kingdoms and kings and people to their demise. Now, before he has shown her judgment, he has shown uh, what she looks like. And what does he see? He sees a woman dressed in the clothes of wealth and royalty. He sees a woman where who is uh, dressed in purple and scarlet. This is the clothes of wealth and royalty. Dyed clothing during this time were very difficult to come by. It was a difficult process to dye clothing. You couldn't just go to the grocery store and buy yourself a box of writ dye and throw it in the throw it in the tub and come out with something that was a different color. You had to work hard and you had to go to special places to find the things that made 
the dye that made the colors. So to have purple and scarlet clothing shows her royalty and her wealth. Beyond that, she is also glittering with gold. She is bejeweled. She is bedazzled, if you will, but not with baubles and trinkets. She is bejeweled with gold, with precious stones and with pearls. And she holds in her hand a golden cup. If we start right there, we'll we'll see something very important about the temptation that comes to us through human agency to compromise truth and to disobey God's law. It comes wrapped in a pretty package. This is not some woman past her prime. This is a young, beautiful woman dressed in glorious clothes who is coming to the church with this temptation to compromise God's truth and to disobey God's law. The temptation to compromise your testimony and your obedience will come dressed in finery and in glittering jewels. In Proverbs chapter 7, Solomon tells the story of seeing a young man walking through the streets of the town. He's just walking around, minding his own business, and as he walks past a certain house, a sweet voice calls to him. She offers him the joy and pleasure that can be found only in her arms. She entices him with her sweet-smelling perfume, with the inviting beauty of her bed, and with promises of safety and delight. But Solomon warns that giving in to the temptation leads to death, whether it's at the hands of a jealous husband or at the hands of the civil magistrate who carry out and enforce God's law. This is the picture that we have here. Sin comes to the church. Sin comes to the Christian described as the answer to whatever you want. Do you want the peace that God promises in the midst of hard situations, but in an easy way? Well, there's a medication for that. There's a substance that will fulfill where God wants you to rest in his all-sufficient grace. Do you want to feel the love and acceptance that God promises through his church and through his son? Well, forget those laws that God has against fornication and adultery, and that love and acceptance can be yours without all the hard work. Do you want community and camaraderie that God promises in the church without the work necessary to encourage and to lift up one another. Well, just don't mention all that sin and gospel and Bible stuff and you can be part of our group. This woman presents herself as an enticing enchantress with the sweetest tasting wine. But notice that it's not wine in her cup. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adultery. Giving into temptation and com- compromising on God's path to peace can lead you to the abomination of addiction. Giving into the temptation to compromise God's laws surrounding sex can lead to emptiness and in some cases disease. Giving into the temptation to compromise truth for community acceptance will lead to shallow friendships built upon a denial, built upon a hiding of truth. And ultimately, if truth is fully compromised, as we saw in the seven letters to the churches, if obedience is fully abandoned, then you you have God's judgment to look forward to. John sees the harlot in all of her alluring beauty, and then he has his eyes opened to the danger that the of the temptation that that beauty holds. Not only does he see the goblet full of her abominations, full of the filth of her idolatry. 
but he also sees the name written on her head. Now, in the NIV, mystery is added to the name. Most likely the word mystery should actually be somewhere in that introductory sentence. This is the mysterious title. This is a mysterious name. Typically, when the word mystery is used in the book of Revelation, it it denotes something that is hidden that is about to be revealed. And so the name is about to be revealed. And so it's a mysterious name. Babylon the Great. This should take us back to Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream where the tree that Daniel says represents Babylon will be cut down for a time and will go to weed. And Daniel says, well, because of your arrogance, you're going to say something to God and he is going to drive you insane for a period of seven years. And so one day, a little while later, Nebuchadnezzar is standing on the wall overlooking the city of Babylon and he says, Babylon the Great. Look what I have done with my own hands. And God judges him for his arrogance. Taking the title upon herself, Babylon the Great, reminds us that societies arrayed against God's truth are arrogant. They don't think they need God. They think they've done everything themselves. They've pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. I've built all this with my own hands. I don't need God. It's like that scene in, I believe it was Shenandoah. Jimmy Stewart standing there at the head of the table. His his family has asked him to pray over the meal. And he goes, God, I come before you today. I'm going to thank you for the food that I grew with my own hands. And we're going to, I'm going to thank you for the plates and the table that I bought with my own money. I did all this, God, but I guess I should thank you. We have to beware of the arrogance that comes in thinking that we have built a church, that you and I have built a family, that you and I have built our own lives. We have what we have. We are where we are because of the grace and the sovereignty of God. Then underneath that, she is called the mother of prostitutes and the abominations of the earth. Robert Gundry says in response to these two lines, he says that pagan culture is a, quote, cesspool that has overflowed so as to permeate the world with sexual immorality and idolatry. The prophet Jeremiah picks up this or has this picture as well when when God through Jeremiah rebukes the Israelites by saying, I have provided you streams of fresh flowing water. And you turn your backs on that fresh flowing water and you go get your daily water from the sewer. The abominations are like drinking sewage. And we see that this woman, this, this, this woman that represents human society apart from God is drunk with the blood of the saints and the, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Pagan culture, human culture apart from God does not like to be confronted with the truth that God judges sin. That God will come and declare that your acts, your works, are as filthy rags because they were done in sin. They were done with selfish and arrogant motives. They don't, the pagan culture apart from God does not like to be reminded that the only thing that we can offer God is the name of Jesus when it comes to standing before him and him asking us how judgment 
will, will flow over us rather than falling on us as he pours it out. John sees the fullness of her evil wrapped up in a pretty package. Now the question comes, can we identify Babylon the Great in history? Some have tried to tie her to Rome. You know, she, we're told to hear that she sits on seven hills, which is kind of a, a descriptor of the geography of, of where Rome is built. Some have tried to tie her to some future kingdom after the church has been taken out of all the tribulation and turmoil. She is some eighth beast that come along. We'll deal with that, that rapture thing here in a few weeks, putting it off as long as I possibly can because, you know, it's kind of a confrontation thing. But no, we will deal with that. We'll talk about that as we get to chapter 20. But neither of these go far enough. Neither is it Rome. Neither is it some future kingdom that will come. Hills and mountains in the book of Revelation refer to kings and kingdoms, just like heads and crowns and horns do. Rome, Rome's fall didn't quite fit the fall of the, of the woman here that we'll look at here in a few moments. And we need to realize that every day new kingdoms are raised up and fall that are arrayed against God and against his truth. Kings and presidents and prime ministers and tribal leaders sit upon seats of power saying, look what I have done. And doesn't and don't anybody dare stand in my way. Don't remind me that God will hold me responsible for my acts. So John sees here that temptation comes to you and I dressed up in pretty packages, promising more than it can ever deliver. And you know, John may have been tempted by this woman as he viewed her in her vision. In verses six and seven, there is talk of John being astonished. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. And the angel said to me, why are you astonished? That word astonished we first saw back in Revelation 13, where people were tricked by the beast into marveling at and worshiping the dragon. And then the angel rebukes John for his astonishment. Now, he may have been rebuked because he should have known better. At the end here, it's 17 chapters in to this vision. He should have known better than to be fearful if that's what astonishment means. Or he may, may have been rebuked because he should not have been drawn into the harlot's temptations. But both reasons for rebuke lead you and I to consider whether or not we have enough wisdom to discern both the end of those who stand opposed to God and to discern when temptation comes to compromise God's truth and God's law. If John can miss the point, whatever point it was that he can miss, how much more can you and I be taken in by the temptation to either fear the strength of human organizations or to be taken in by the allure, the draw, of evil's temptations. You and I must always be vigilant for the attacks and the temptations of the evil one, regardless of where they come from. A part of John's rebuke is a a reminder of the future of both the beast and the harlot. As he reveals the nature of the beast to John, a nature that, as we've said, is, is revealed to us in 12 and 13, as we see the 
coming and going of kingdoms throughout the history of the church. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. In God's time frame, they, they are here for just a moment. They are not here forever, even though from our time frame, sometimes we think, how long, O Lord? God says it's only for a moment. You will have all of eternity to live in peace and in worship of me. It's just a moment that evil reigns there on the earth. And just as they did in chapters 12 and 13, just as we will see that they will do in chapters 18 and 19, the beast and the harlot war against the lamb and his followers. And as I said already, once again, the angel reminds John that they will be defeated. And why will they be defeated? Because Jesus is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, a title that that Paul gives to God the Father in 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy 6. We see the beast, we see the beast's human allies warring against God and defeated. But then we see an interesting thing about the way that the defeat the, the, the defeat comes for these pagan cultures, these human cultures. Now you and I would expect to hear of judgment. We, we've got an angel who was one of the ones who poured out the bowls of God's wrath earlier in the previous two chapters, we would expect the angel to show John that the harlot of Babylon was judged when those bowls were poured out. But that's not how it happened. The beast that has supported the harlot and drawn her into battle against the lamb, the beast turns on the harlot and destroys her. Kind of as an aside, there are a number of parallels between the harlot of Babylon and Jezebel, the wife of King Ahab, um, who comes from the end of 1 Kings and into the first few chapters of 2 Kings, who has already been referenced in one of the letters to the seven churches earlier in chapter 2, verses 20 through 24. We see a parallel here. Both are dressed in finery. Both are guilty of taking the blood of God's people. Both tempt the people of God to idolatry. And both meet their demise, naked and devoured. The main point is that evil is often its own punishment. In Romans chapter 1, when God says he is judging the pagans, he doesn't come with lightning, he doesn't come with earthquakes. He simply lets them follow the natural course and conclusion of their idolatries. Natures, nations, excuse me, cultures, even churches, who turn their back on faithfulness and obediently and obedience will ultimately destroy themselves, will ultimately find their downfall in their own egos, in their own arrogance, in their own pursuit of their wants, their needs, and their desires, apart from the heart-changing and life-changing message of the gospel. So we've seen the allure, the draw of the temptation that the woman brings, and we've seen that ultimately the woman and the beast will be judged. We spoke last time we were together about the clear truths that we can find in Revelation and and not missing the clear truths as we get bogged down in some of the harder things. The clearest truth we have in this passage is that the lamb will win, has won the war that is before him because he is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Don't miss that point as we move through. The, the intensity is ramping up as we get through the book of Revelation. The, the, the imagery is ramping up as the intensity ramps up. It's almost as if the book is, 
is getting louder. If you were watching this as a movie or listening to this as an audiobook, think of the tension and the stress and the warfare getting louder and louder as we move to the end of the book. But remember, as the cacophony grows, as the noise and the violence grows, Jesus is victorious for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And he is and will reign forever. Not telling you not to do the work, but don't miss the truth as you do the work, the truth that Jesus is victorious. As we look at this vision, John at the beginning of this vision is taken to a desert to see a woman. Now, this is not the first time we have seen this pattern in the book of Revelation. Remember these visions cycle. In Revelation chapter 12, the dragon attacked a woman as she was giving birth. The baby was taken to heaven and the woman was driven to the desert where she found protection. As the Old Testament people of God brought forth the Savior who performed his ministry on this earth and then ascended into heaven, we move to the New Testament people of God marked not by circumcision, but by baptism and the blood of Christ that, that came from the cross. They move to the wilderness where it's a, it is harsh, it is hard. They suffer the attacks of both nature and people in league with the devil. And yet there they find protection. And we'll see that woman again in Revelation 19, dressed in the finery, the royal clothing of Jesus' righteousness. But before that, John sees the woman of Revelation 17, who will reappear again in Revelation 18. And she is dressed in the finery of her temptation. And while the, the same desert that provides the hard protection for the church will also be the place of judgment for the woman in opposition to the church. Yes, fallen humanity in opposition to the church creates much of the danger that the church meets in the desert and needs to be protected from. But this place of protection for the church is the place of judgment for the world. From beginning to end, Revelation is a call to faithfulness and a call to obedience in our witness. Faithfulness will be rewarded and compromise will be judged. We must have the wisdom to know the word of God well enough to know when temptation comes our way. And also to know the promises of God, both in Revelation and throughout the rest of Scripture, to not despair when it seems like the world is victorious over the church. Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and he is victorious. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for these words of promise, these words of hope that remind us that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Help us not to lose heart. Help us not to fall to temptation, but help us to be faithful and obedient. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go about life this week, take this blessing upon you. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we join with the saints who have come before and will follow after in saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.